So um, I'm going to be talking about fasting, which is kind of ironic because this week I got a bad dose of food poisoning. And uh, I'll spare you the details. If you want a blow-by-blow account, come see me afterwards. But I learned two things. One, life is funny sometimes. Uh, Well, three things, actually. One, life is funny sometimes. Secondly, when your wife tells you not to eat dirty chicken, listen to her. Because it was from a dirty, dirty fried chicken shop. And uh, I should have listened to her. And the third one is... There are fried chicken shops and there are others that should be avoided. And if you ask me afterwards, I'll tell you which ones to avoid. Uh, (laughs) I learned the hard way, brothers and sisters. Um, So I want to talk today on fasting and what it means to fast together as church and to seek God. You know, we, uh, as mentioned, we're about to go into a season where of prayer and fasting. So from the 19th to the 23rd of June, just to reiterate, we're going to have prayer meetings on Zoom every morning before work, 7.30 till 8. It's an opportunity just to be able to join together on Zoom and pray together. And then in the evenings, we won't have one on Monday, but because uh, a lot of the children's stuff and it's been disrupted a lot by the amount of bank holidays recently. So we're going to keep doing Kids Club on Monday that day. But then uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll have prayer meetings every evening. And there'll be one uh, here, the, uh, one at Lansbury Lodge, one at Lighthouse, and then a worship event at the end as well. So we really want to take time together to seek the face of God. And I really want to encourage you, that's the 19th to the 23rd of June. So please do book that time into your diaries. You know, as a, as a church leader, I want to repent before you because we've lost that regular rhythm. We have obviously our, you know, prayer times during the week and then the, um, the monthly time of corporate prayer together as church, first Tuesday. But we let slip that, uh, those quarterly weeks of prayer and fasting that we always used to do and that that kind of slipped during COVID and we need to really get back to that as a church. For me, it's really important that we have those times where we come together intentionally to pray and to seek God together. So we really want to push forward with that. We're going to be looking at other ways during the coming months as well so that we can really uh, draw a greater sense of corporate prayer together the church coming together to pray. I believe there's so much that God is doing in the church. You know, I sat this week in in Alpha just hearing more from one of the guys who came through the growth night shelter and has ended up making a commitment to follow Jesus. He's from a Muslim background and he's really starting to change. God is at work. You know, there's lots of other good testimonies of what God is doing right now. And I really believe, church, that in order to really press in to all that he has for us, we really do need to seek God more together. We can't rest on the fact, oh, isn't it good, nice things happening. That is exactly the time to push in. It's exactly the time to really seek God more. It's exactly the time to to up our sense of prayer and fasting. It's exactly the time to really watch our relationships together as well. You know, last summer, we um, 
We just had three weeks spare in the, uh, in the calendar and uh, the preaching calendar. I just did a, a mini series on life together from Colossians about treating one another well, about how we respond to one another, about forgiving one another, about loving one another and having good relationships between us. And I really want to encourage you, if you get the opportunity, maybe go back. I think it's August last year, but maybe go back. It's on the website. Go back and listen to those talks because I believe that it's really important as we're pushed to get forward that we push forward together with a deep sense of love and unity together as a church. I believe it's time to step into all that God has for us as a church. You know, I believe that this borough needs change. I believe that there are people who we regularly see and encounter who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus. They desperately need to be set free from sin that controls their life. They desperately need to know that they are loved by God. And that means they need a church that loves God and is making him known to the community around us. And I think there's exciting things happen. But church, I want to say, let's not rest on our laurels, but really let's push in to all that God has for us. Let's be disciplined in our spiritual disciplines. Let's be encouraging towards one another. Let's be making sure we're walking in unity. And let's not take casually the things of God. You know, today is Pentecost Sunday, and I was thinking about some of the outpourings of the Holy Spirit in history. And one of the, the, the great outpourings of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in modern times was the Azusa Street revival of, of just over a hundred years ago. And that really birthed the modern Pentecostal movement. And you know, if you look and you see and you read, there's some fantastic diaries you can read of those times. And what you see is a dependence on God. You see people humbling themselves, seeking the face of God, calling out to him and crying out to him for him to pour out his Holy Spirit over them. You see that there's a remarkable sense of, of fasting and seeking God. One of the interesting things is, and one of the reasons the Azusa the street movement was kind of controversial at its time is that is, uh, in America is that black and white people came together and sought the face of God. They dealt with some of the racial issues between them. There was a sense uh, within that thing of, of God having to deal out with some of the racism in hearts. And as they came together, as they sought the face of God, he poured his Holy Spirit out. You know, if you read those accounts, there are people who sought the baptism of the Holy Spirit and just learned what it was to not just pray, God, do it, and if it doesn't happen, give up, but to seek the face of God, to seek his face in fasting, in repentance, in coming together, and just seeing how powerfully God poured out his Holy Spirit. If you look at so much that has happened in the church in the 20th century and into the 21st century, really you see, trace it back, the outpouring at Azusa had a massive, massive impact. You look at the revival under Wesley, again, the church seeking God's face, coming together, keeping short accounts with one another, learning to pray and fast together. 
You know, John Wesley, you know, we're going to talk about fasting. John Wesley wouldn't ordain people unless they committed to, to times of fasting. His, all his ministers used to fast two days a week together. It was a not taking casually the things of God. You know, this verse that we read from uh, Ezra, we've been looking at Nehemiah. We looked at the background into Ezra as well. And what you see is that, and this is, this is uh, uh, the, the time before Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. But uh, Ezra is being sent back by a pagan king to be able to help instruct God's people in God's word. So under Zerubbabel, the first remnant had come back. They began, they began to go back, the first lot of returnees. And, and God starts doing something, but they get stuck. And God sends prophets, and God also sends Ezra back to help them rediscover the central place of his word. And that, you know, if you look at the life of Ezra, Ezra is a man who put the word of God front and center. In Nehemiah's life, you see Nehemiah very often, we see some of the prayers that are recorded in Nehemiah. And you see that God restoring his people is built on a sense of rediscovering his purposes and then prayer, fasting, and the word of God having a central place. And I believe there's something we can really learn from and embrace. And these uh, verses here are when Ezra is being sent back by this pagan king to go and give the word of God its rightful place. And uh, it's really interesting because right at the start of it, Ezra is concerned to humble themselves and to trust in God. There's not a sense of them saying, wow, something great's happening, let's coast. No, rather they say, because something great is happening, because we see God at work, we're going to push in. We're not going to just rest back on it. Because we see God at work, We're really going to seek his face more. And right at the start of it, there's that sense of humbling. Verse 21, there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask him for a safe journey. You see, if we look at verse 2, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his anger is against all those who forsake him. You know, Ezra realized that humility looked like being concerned with the reputation of God, but also recognizing one's own frailty. And so Ezra is keen for God's reputation. He said, because we have told us the gracious hand of God is upon us. If we, the church of Jesus Christ, believe that the gracious hand of God is upon us, if we believe his spirit is at work in the church, if we believe his spirit lives inside of us, what do people see in the church in this nation? Do they see a church that brings honor and glory to Jesus And sadly, the answer is often not. 
if we're real and honest, actually when people look at our lives, they often don't see what brings honor and glory to Jesus. And my heart, brothers and sisters, is that firstly, our lives bring honor and glory to Jesus. That our church brings honor and glory to Jesus. That the church in Tower Hamlets brings honor and glory to Jesus. That the church in England brings glory and honor to Jesus. And that as people look to the church in this country, they are able to esteem and glorify God. It's really interesting. Whenever you write from the start, when God calls Israel, he says, you're going to be my people and I'm going to live amongst you. I'm going to put my laws amongst you. And then everybody else is going to see who I am because they see how you live. And he says that they're going to be a light to the nations. And that's the job of the church as well. We are to be a light to the nations. And brothers and sisters, it's so important that we take time to pray together, to seek the face of God. It's so important that individually we're seeking God, that we'll have hearts open. You know, we'll talk about during times of fasting, I believe God often speaks to us about repentance. Why? Because he wants to draw our hearts to his. You know, these people, they had been really quite comfortable, some of them, in captivity. And by following God's leading to go and to bring restoration, it took them out of comfort and into difficulty. It would have been far more comfortable for them to stay at Babylon. been far more comfortable to stay in captivity. And actually, that's very often the truth with us as believers. You know, we can either live for comfort or we can live for Christ. But if we live for Christ, it's going to challenge our desire for comfort. It's going to challenge our desire for a settled life. Obedience to Christ can be disruptive. You know, we live in an age, in a world that makes an idol of our own comfort. And these people were called to return, to build the work of God, to see God's God's word given the rightful place. But that meant that they had to go on this dangerous journey. And I love that idea that God calls, the people respond, but it's not easy. It's a dangerous journey. And actually, there's a metaphor in there, I believe, for the Christian life. A journey of obedience is just that. It's a journey. We're not called to be static. We keep following God. But also, it leads us often into difficulty. It can take us to places where things get tough. And here's the thing. The thought that that runs through that passage in Ezra is the need to humble themselves not rely on human help, not even relying on this king who is well disposed to them, but is to rely on God. And brothers and sisters, it is so easy for us 
to serve God in our own strength. It's so easy for us to serve God with our own wealth or our own stuff. But actually within that, we need to keep coming back and saying, God, I want to serve you in your strength, in your power. And you see that word, we humbled ourselves. It's really interesting. I believe that in the, in the Bible, the primary method that God's people humble themselves is through fasting. It's through fasting. And I, I think that's a, there's something really important in there. You know, fasting is a way that we can humble ourselves before God. And, you know, I just want to unpack that a little bit. What does it mean for us to pray and fast together as church? What does it mean to take the time to do that corporately? You know, probably 12 years ago or something, one of the guys who used to be a leader in the church uh, here in Tower Hamlets, Carl Bodecker, he preached a, a, a fantastic sermon. And he was talking, he gave this analogy. He's a, a builder and a jack of all trades with that. But he talked about clearing through some drains. And he said they try and clear the drains, but the drains were blocked. And they used the rods. And then they used something else, but still not. And then he said they got hold of this thing called the Rothenberg Blaster. And basically, it's like high pressure. And you fire that thing, and it literally, the drains get cleared. And we had something similar in our street when our drains blocked up. And our drain blocked up, and they were trying to clear it and couldn't. And then Zoe Davidge came, and when Zoe Davidge couldn't even do it, she's in the drain, a rat came out the drain. I jumped back, shut the door, left Zoe out with the rat. That's me. (laughs) Uh, Zoe couldn't fix it. And so we called the dino rod guy. He couldn't fix it properly. And then he took out this big blaster thing and they blast the drains. And what happened is halfway down the road, literally midway down the street, all this poop and everything started flying against the wall of a house. And that's where the blockage was. And you know what? It needed a blaster to get rid of all the junk that had built up. And brothers and sisters, sometimes I believe we need times of corporate prayer and fasting coming together to see God get rid of the junk in our lives, but also the junk in our relationships, the stuff that we just don't deal with. And so I really want to encourage us, let's take this time together to pray and to fast, to prioritize it. Now, uh, we'll come on to a little bit to... A few practicalities on that, and also maybe some of the people who shouldn't fast. So, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, but please, let's use this as a time to seek God. Secondly, the Bible talks about when you fast. In Matthew six sixteen to eighteen, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, "And when you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men." Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret 
will repay, will repay you. Jesus, as he's talking in this part of the Sermon on the Mount on healthy spiritual disciplines, he talks about prayer and he talks about giving and we believe in that and you can go into church and regularly hear about it. But Jesus talks about fasting in the same way. Now, I grew up in a very strongly reformed evangelical background and there's so much to be grateful for that. But I never ever heard the Bible talk about all kinds of things, but I never ever heard a sermon on fasting. And then when I was about 16, 17, about 17 years old, a friend of mine gave me a book by Derek Prince called Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. And it utterly revolutionized my devotional life and my prayer life. And I began to learn to fast and to make a practice of it. And, you know, I'd I'd never really seen that Jesus had an expectation that a normal spiritual life involved the discipline of fasting. You know, and I believe it is perhaps the most neglected spiritual discipline. You know, sometimes when you look, when you mention fasting, people don't think about the church they think about some intermittent fasting diet or, you know, when you're on uh, Twitter or something and those weird ads come up, or is it just me that's getting, <laughs> getting diet ads targeted at them? <laughs> Johnny, you're taking way too much pleasure in that. <laughs> but that's what, maybe we associate it with that or some weird guru guy, or most likely with Muslims, don't we? We associate fasting with. And yet fasting, I believe, was very much a practice of the early church and ought to be a practice for us as Christians. It's a way to set aside time in the busyness of our weeks and months just to be able to seek the face of God. Uh, I would encourage you um, to... uh, I'll be sending around some teaching notes next week through the church email so if you're not signed up to those and you don't get them there'll be a QR code at the end scan the QR code or grab one of the church team we'd love to show you how to do it but just some teaching notes on fasting but for me it really really changed my life learning how to fast and to pray together and uh, and and Jesus had this expectation of when you fast when you fast And so I think it's important that we understand that unless there's a a change and shift in our thinking, it's really easy to miss out on that. But in in this passage here, actually Jesus is, is really clear and wanting to speak to them about their attitude in fasting. And so he makes the point that, look, this isn't about being seen as really spiritual. And in fact, he rebukes some of the religious leaders of their day because they made such a fuss about fasting. But actually, their hearts were far from God. And we'll see that pattern is repeated throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. The, the, the call not just to fast outwardly, but actually to watch the motivations of your heart. So Jesus says to them here, you know, when you're fasting, don't say, oh, I'm, look, solemn, oh, what's the matter? I'm fasting today, brother. It's kind of hard. I'm, uh, are you fasting? Okay. No, no, he doesn't do that. He says, look, you know, wash your face. Turn to the person next to you say, wash your face. No, no. <laughs> uh, he basically says to them, wash your face. Look bright. 
Don't draw attention to yourself. The same way he says, when you pray, don't make a fuss out of praying. When you're giving, don't make a fuss about how you give. In other words, let the heart be the issue. Um, And Jesus didn't just command fasting, but he also modeled it. Let's look at how to fast. Number three, being clear how to fast. Firstly, Jesus uh, didn't just command fasting. He modeled it. In Luke 4, 1 and 2, we see Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Don't you just love the way he ate nothing for 40 days, and at the end, he was hungry? You know, and, and the church gathered for 40 minutes. We listened to a sermon, and at the end, we were hungry. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? He entered his fast full of the Holy Spirit. But actually, later on, when it says that Jesus returned, we say that Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. So actually, one of the things that we see modeled in the life of Jesus was a willingness to fast, the practice of fasting, but that actually, through fasting, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit for his ministry. Now, it's one of those things, isn't it? We all like to think that we know how to do things the right way. But one of the things that I'm really convinced of is if Jesus felt it necessary to fast and and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit through fasting, it's probably a good idea for us to look to do the same. So Jesus showed the importance. And, And you see that there is something that happens, I believe, when God's people seek his face in fasting, that brings change. That brings change. And I know in my life at key times, I've taken time to pray and to fast and seen God come through. I remember one time at our old church, Elias, I got a phone call from a friend of ours in the church there. And his teenage son had taken a massive heroin overdose. And the doctors had basically said he's toast. And they said, come and say goodbye. And it was such a devastating moment. And, you know, I remember when this guy called me first, he called me and he just said, Tony, my son. And then there was just wailing and moaning and crying. And it took him literally about seven or eight minutes before he could even tell me what had happened to his son. And, you know, as a church, we called a time of prayer and fasting and we began to pray for that young man and we began to pray and the doctors have been really clear your son if he survives is going to be massively impaired but they said prepare yourself he's going to and as the church began to call out and cry out to God in in prayer and fasting God did a miracle in that boy's life you know what he literally totally totally recovered And I've seen uh, other times as we pray and fast together, God brings breakthrough. Because we are in a spiritual battle. And in that spiritual battle, one of the weapons I believe that God gives to us is that weapon of prayer and fasting. 
You know, fasting is our heavy artillery, I think. And I think as church, we really need to rediscover that a bit. Now, here's the one thing I do want to say, though, really important point. Fasting changes us, not God. So when I first started fasting, it felt to me like if I fast, then God's got to do what I tell him. And it's a bit like you get God in a headlock and he's got no choice. Do you give in? Do you give? And that fasting somehow helps you convince God. No, no. Here's the thing. Fasting doesn't change God. It actually changes us. It changes our perspective. It makes us realize our need for him. It draws us closer to him in that setting aside in the very realization of what our hearts are like. You know, part of that thing, even just telling yourself you're not going to eat today, like what it does to you, like that makes, you know, we talk about, what's that phrase, hangry, isn't it? Hungry, angry or whatever. Like it just wells up and it tells you your own heart. And so fasting really often changes us. It shows us our need for God. It shows us our selfishness. But as we take time, because it's amazing how much of our time is spent either thinking about, talking about, preparing, eating, storing, reheating, ping, in the microwave, like food. And actually, sometimes when we take a season of fasting, just to say, God, I think I've got it so smart, but, you know, don't feed me for five hours and I'm a beast. Like, there's something in that that reminds us of who we are and our need for God. You know, um... And so Jesus tells his disciples to fast. And I really want to encourage us, you know, there's a point of being obedient. You know, let's take some time. Let's pray. Let's fast together. And, you know, Jesus is really clear to talk to them about how they should fast, how they should fast. And at that heart of that is not being a hypocrite. So he says, don't make a big public thing of it. And that's one of the tensions, and I think it's sometimes why we don't talk more about fasting, because the number one rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club, isn't it? And the number, when Jesus says, you know, don't make a show of fasting, so we often don't talk about it. But actually, he's talking about ostentatious displays of your own humility. And, um, you know, in the Bible, we see that that calling of a fast together is really normal. You look throughout the Old Testament, look at the New Testament, when they appointed elders in the church in Antioch in the book of Acts. They prayed, they fasted, and then they laid their hands on them. At significant times in Israel's history, when things get particularly tricky, they fast and seek God. So there is a corporate nature to it. There is a, a definitely a place for doing this together. It's a time to do it together. And here's a big thing. If you live with others and you're fasting, if you don't tell them, it's kind of rude. You know, please understand, if you uh, are fasting and you don't tell your spouse and they cook you dinner and you don't eat it, that ain't going to end well, is it? Like, it's just just a nice way. Um, And also, though, they can encourage you and fast with you, maybe. So, So don't get lost in the old, you know, Jesus says doing secret. No, no, it's talking about not out making ostentatious displays of your fasting, but rather take the time together to fast. One of the things that fasting does is it shows us our heart attitude. 
You know, during times of fasting, let's not just spend more time doing other things, but commit that time to prayer. Commit that time to prayer. And that's why as we're taking time to fast together, let's take time to pray. You know, we're going to be starting those prayer meetings in the evening earlier than we normally do. Uh, just to, we want to just take more time to pray. So there'll be 7.30 till 9. We want to have time to pray together. Um, let's take time to do, I find that when seasons of fasting, a spiritual inventory of your own life. You know, take some time to reflect. and Say, Holy Spirit, come and show me my own heart. Come and show me what's going on. Show me the bad stuff in my own heart. Show me what you want to strengthen. Let's take more time to listen. You know, I think that as I reflect on my life, times when I pray and fast, I hear the voice of God more clearly. Let's make sure we're taking time to listen. I believe fasting is a time for intentional repentance. Again, we saw at the start of the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah saw how the gates of Jerusalem are burned and he hears the bad report. What did he, he wept, he mourned, he prayed, he fasted. Fasting and prayer lead us to repentance. Repentance isn't somebody else's issue, it's mine. There's stuff each of us need to repent of. And during seasons of fasting, we ask the Holy Spirit to show us our own sin. So, you know, just some really practical stuff, really. Um, Firstly, you know, what is fasting? Fasting is simply abstaining from food. Now, I, it's very rare that I would, in fact, I don't encourage people at all to do a water fast. You know, your body can go without food if you're fit and well for quite a, quite a while, actually. But please don't go without water and liquids. So I would say one of my big things with fasting, keep your body really well hydrated. Drink much more than you would normally do. Um, um, Think about the fact that when you fast, you will have less energy, which means maybe thinking about just slowing your schedule down a bit during that time. You know, if you're, uh, if you're thinking about your times and tasks, maybe thinking about what do I need to do to help me release time into that. You might need to think about, you know, if there's a particularly busy time at work, that's, those days probably aren't the best to do so. Um, and, and just really, really please, in, in saying all of this, we really don't want to feel any, anybody to feel obligated to fast during these times. And particularly for some people, they really shouldn't. So if you are, for example, diabetic, then I don't think generally you should be fasting. If you're pregnant, you shouldn't be fasting. If you're breastfeeding, if you've got other medical issues or you need to take a lot of medication, and if you're at all unsure please talk to a doctor, talk to your GP before you do so. I'd say if you're not used to fasting, maybe just begin with one meal, you know, or maybe just say, right, just for the day or, or from sunrise to sundown or that sort of stuff, sundown to sunrise, go to bed. I fasted overnight, boom. No, no. <laughs> um, but, but maybe do just begin small. It's a bit like a muscle. You know, if you fast for a few days, be careful how you break your fast. 
You know, I can tell you from personal experience, if you do a bit of an extended fast, a fry up, as great as it may seem at the end of it, it doesn't end well either. You know, realize, but also, you know, a lot of doctors will tell you there's a lot of health benefits in it as well. Now, that's not why we do it. Also, please understand, if you've ever had an eating disorder or a complicated relationship with food that way, I would encourage you probably not to fast. There are some other things you could do. Maybe eat, and for those who can't, maybe eat a simplified diet. Maybe, you know, go vegan during that point or, or, or maybe just eat less rich food or just, but there are ways that we can do this that everybody can partake in some way. But please, if, if you're in any of those categories where you shouldn't be fasting, don't push it, you know, don't push it. And if you're at all not sure, then please do talk to someone. Um, and then really just to, to bring this to a close is that um, it's so important that God wants to deal with our hearts in the midst of it. You know, Isaiah 58 gives the injunction for fasting, not fighting. Let me just read you these verses from Isaiah 58. Verse 3. Why have we fasted and you didn't see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you didn't notice? Behold, on the day of your fast... You find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like today. You do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I have chosen? A day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this as a fast, even a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it to div- not to divide your bread with your hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? You know, Isaiah has to confront the people that they say, God, we fasted, but you didn't listen. And he said, because you did the outward stuff, but your heart was far from me. You say that it's time for fasting, but you end up fighting. You know, if you've ever been in somewhere like Bangladesh during Ramadan and you see rickshaw drivers who are really up for a fight because they're fasting, you'll see exactly what that means. People getting properly hangry because they're hungry and raging. And Isaiah has to remind the people that's not the fast God has, but actually it's to deal with your heart. And he says, you think you can con God by fasting, but you're oppressing, you're doing injustice, you're, you're treating others badly, you're not taking care of the poor and the hungry. And so fasting doesn't mean that we can ignore our responsibilities to the marginalized and the vulnerable. And it's interesting that, you know, in the midst of that, God says, yes, fast, but allow that to stir your heart for righteousness. Allow that to stir you, to, to, to motivate you to love others. And then I just want to read you this from verse 8. These are some of the benefits I believe that the Bible does promise us in regard to fasting with a clean heart. 
Then your light will break out like the dawn. Your recovery will, recovery will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So there's promise of healing and restoration. Your light will break out like the dawn. God turns the lights on in our soul. You will call out to the Lord and you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. That sense of being drawn closer to God. Verse 10, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will become like midday. As we see God at work, as we draw near to him, as we have become his hands and feet extended to those in need. Not as we focus solely on ourselves and become introspective, but as we see the bigger picture of God's word, your light will rise, God's work, your light will rise in the darkness. Verse 11, and the Lord will continually guide you, satisfy your desire in scorched places, give strength to your bones, and you'll be like a well-watered garden. And a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Satisfaction and contentment is there in God. I love the verse, you want to be like a well-watered garden. And those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the old foundations and you will be called the repairer of breach. The restorer of streets in which to dwell. You know, God wants to work in our hearts He wants to draw our hearts back to him. He wants to encourage our relationships between us. He wants us to desire and to seek his face. And I want to encourage you, church. This is a time to seek God. Not a time just to get religious, but a time to seek God. A time to to come together in concerted times of prayer, seeking his face. A time to have a sensitive heart, not to the sin of others. It's so easy to get offended, isn't it? But instead, to have a heart that's open to our own failings. You know, let's use this time, this opportunity, and this season. I'm going to invite the band up now. We're going to continue to worship. As we do, yeah, let's use this as a time of consecration, a time of saying, God, I want you to do something new in my heart. I want you to do something new in my home, in my family. I want you to do something new in my community. I want you to do something new in our church. I want you to do something new in this city. I want you to do something new in this nation. You know, we read the... I'm a news junkie, I love it. But you read the paper and it breaks you, right? You see the pain. You see our society is so messed up. Brothers and sisters, that means we need to draw our hearts. You know, God's work begins in God's people. You know, it said judgment begins in the house of God. And that sense that if we want to see God at work doing restoration, it starts with our individual hearts. It starts as we connect our hearts in prayer, encouragement, fellowship, seeking God. As we seek God together in this season, I want to encourage you. Let's be expectant. God is on the move. 
But now is the time to really push in and seek his face. God bless you.